my imagination is a hell of a troublemaker. So I have to keep it under wraps and give it a job. And (laughs) that's what I do. I give it a job to write. So yeah, I, I, I write because I can't not write. Welcome to JCV Art Studio. My name's Joanna and my microphone is working. So if you've noticed my voice has been a little different these past few uh, podcasts, it's because my microphone, my regular microphone is now working and I don't feel like I'm screaming in people's ears. All right. So if you're new to the podcast, my name is Joanna Vanderflook. I am the author of The Unraveling and Dealer's Child, and this is my podcast where I promote authors and artists and a lot of great people. I've had a lot of great guests on here. Today, I'm jumping into a totally different world than I'm used to. It's the fantasy world. I have a fantasy author and veterinarian, Deborah Lambert, from Souk, BC with me. We've been trying back and forth, her schedule, my schedule, um, trying to get things to jive. And it looks like we, we've, we made it happen, Deborah. <laughs> we did, finally. Yeah. So Deborah is the author of the Son of No Man series. And we're going to talk a lot about her series. And maybe if Deborah is up for it, I had to throw this in here, Deborah. Learn about a dragon's anatomy. <laughs> I can't blame you for that. Everyone asks. <laughs> well, welcome. And I, I have to say, um, I have a dragon in my backyard. It's uh, it's made out of a big boulder and rocks. And on my newsletter, and maybe I will email you a photo of this dragon. It's just something that has come up through the landscaping and in our place okay so anyways so deborah i haven't read your series but i have questions and first you're a mother you're a veterinarian and you're a multi-published author and i remember i would get this question lots of times and i'm going to ask you how do you juggle time for when you write well, the short answer of it is that I basically write whenever I can. <laughs> yeah, I, I know a lot of authors uh, really advocate for having a strict schedule and a routine to their day, consistency to write. But 
I have a funny work week for my day job. I got two kids. Uh, that means writing just happens when it can, yeah. uh, preferably when the baby's sleeping or my eldest is at school. Um, if the baby cooperates, which is not always, uh, mostly I get to write between nine and 10 PM at night because that's when they're asleep. I finished everything else. I finally get to sit down and it's always 9 PM by the time I get there. And then my brain turns off at 10. So that's as good as I get. Otherwise, like I said, I squeeze it in two minutes at a time if I have to. Yeah, I, I get that. I totally get that. Um, I remember working at the prosecutor's office uh, my critique partner, Carol Ann and I, we'd have our lunch break at the same time. We would buy cheap coffee in a coffee shop and sit there and write and sometimes, you know, say, hey, can I run this sentence by you? So I, I get it. And one of us, I think, I don't think we were ever late getting back to work. Okay. Someone's got a timer on, I hope. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. So how many books have you published in total and what what other books are coming up so at the moment i have five novels um that are currently out wow. um, plus a few short stories that are um like kindle unlimited um and through the souk writer collective Good. i do an anthology every year so i've got one in the last three anthologies Good. um for the novels there's sort of a pair called uh, dragon's talon and soul burner they are uh, two-part series um, and then there's another one that's a standalone that sort of ties into it. That's Dragon's Voice, which was my first book published, and that's a self-pub. Okay. Um, and then there's the Son of No Man series, which you've already mentioned. Yeah. And that's a six-book series, but we're only up to book three. So book one, Raiden, is already out. So is Celebrant, which is book two. And then the third book, Northlander, is due actually next month, uh, May wow. 2022. It is officially going to be released. Awesome. So... What I have to ask, what did you read growing up? <laughs> I, I voraciously read everything. I would go down to the uh, library and I would stand in front of the sci-fi fantasy section and I would just go through all the books. And I gravitated a lot to fantasy. Yeah. Um, I liked reading, I mean, I uh, did some Robert Jordan. I did Terry Brooks. I did Terry Goodkind. I did, well, I mean, Tolkien, you know, the, yeah. the classics, um, stuff like that. Um, I did some of the Dragon Lance series, um, um, Pern, Dragon Rise of Pern, all of those sort of things. So um, I just read everything until my library ran out of things to give me. Uh, and then I started rewriting instead because I couldn't come, I wanted to come up with something new um, and different. So I started writing after that. But yeah, lots of, lots of fantasy and sci fiction, science fiction as well. Um, and I would dabble in historical fiction. That was the other, my other favorite was historical fiction, but although there weren't a lot available for teens in that category had to read up up, up a little cool cool so i gotta ask i know it's not in the questions i have i sent you i'm easy is that a shield behind you like I, <laughs> can you explain that because our listeners won't see this so if you can explain what is i'll have that? to post a photo of it later yeah um okay so a little bit of backstory on that um my husband actually is uh antique arms and armament collector so when I write about swords and daggers, and I run it past him. Um, so um, anyway, so this is where, again, the historical fiction buff. Um, so that is actually a bona fide Viking shield. Uh, well, it's, it's, a, it's a replicate um, that he modified to make uh, more accurate because it was a bad replicate originally. Um, and then uh, that is a Viking sword next to it. Actually, there you go. 
proper Viking sword. Um, again, a replicate, but a very historically accurate one. Uh, I should give you a tour of my place. We have um, many things hanging from the walls, all out of reach of small children, but um, <laughs> we do have an assortment of uh, historically accurate in most cases or historical, like there are some antiques in there that are in fact historical. Um, so it's, it's been a huge asset to writing fantasy when you turn around, you're like, this is the weapon I'm modeling this thing after. Um, and I've got the thing in my hand in it, basically. That is so <laughs> cool. Cause I'm even thinking when you're writing yep. like the weight of it, you right? can pick it up, you can move it around. Um, along the similar vein, we did some um, sword training. Like I, I was, I haven't for many years now since the kids were born, but I practiced Iaito, which is um, the Japanese art of the sword. Oh, wow. Um, and it really changed how I viewed sword fighting because uh, it's a very practical uh, application. It's, it's individual, it's not done competition. So you're not trying to hit people, it's forms. It's more like a, a Tai Chi with a sword, basically. Um, but it, it changed because all the forms are based on under these circumstances, how would you attack and kill this person as efficiently as possible? Oh, jeez. So it changed a lot of how I viewed swords people because swordsmen, you see them in the movies and everyone's flailing everywhere and there's swords ringing out and stuff. They're really good swordsmen. It's two blows and you're gone. One blow if you can pull it off, right? This is not supposed to be a drawn out affair, this dueling with fencing and stuff, not so much. It's supposed to be one, two, if, if you can and, and get a killing blow in there. So it, it, it really changed how I portrayed a lot of my sword fights is trying to make it down and dirty, but more realistic, basically. I was just going to ask you, do you find that when now when you watch movies, like, yeah, you're, uh, you're like, you're trying to hit the sword, you're supposed to hit the person. It just yeah. totally is choreographed. They've gotten better. People um, old school used to be far, far more like that. But I think they take pride in their choreography now. So they're showing that they are trying to get in there and then they're blocked or whatever dramatic <laughs> thing you can pull off. But a lot of it, um, once you've got some knowledge of it, it is, uh, it's a dance. It's a performance. Yeah. It's not real. No, you're, that's okay. okay. Okay, it's entertainment. Cool. It doesn't have to be real. I'm glad I asked that. Okay, that's really <laughs> cool. Okay. So is it true? Because I've, I've been with some of the research I've been doing. Um, and I was re I read the article about you from the Vancouver Island Free Daily. Now, is it true that you wrote book one, Ryden, while in veterinary, while in veterinary school? I did. Yes, it is true. I actually wrote the series while at school. Oh, wow. Um, I, I tried to stop writing. Yeah. I did. When I went to vet school, I thought, I'm not going to have time for this, you know, silly hobby. Um, it's going to be a distraction. Um, and I, I was like, I'm going to have to stop writing and focus on my studies. Um, and it actually drove me absolutely bonkers the first week of school. I got agitated. I was anxious. It was miserable. And I realized that writing is really my therapy. Yeah. Um, it's how I relax. And so... I didn't have an outlet anymore. Um, and that wasn't good when you, especially when you're in vet school, it's fairly intense. Um, so I, I surrendered and I just started writing and I guess I had a lot of stress to work out because I wrote, um, I wrote I did it in about nine months, just under, just under a year. I wrote it in nine months. It's gone through various incarnations and edits since, but the original was written in nine months. Um, and then I finished the series, um, what ends up being a six book series before graduation from the four-year program. So it just flowed. Uh, and yeah, I wrote it while I was at vet school. That's, uh, that's awesome. That's awesome. All right. Yeah, because I, I can think of it. Like I, I create art and I know I've been uh, the last couple of days, just a lot going on in my head. And 
last night and this morning, because I'm retired, I'm retired now, I sat down and I started a new illustration. And it just, it's like, okay, everything came back into focus, right? Like every, it was like my, my Zen moment. It was great. Okay. Now also in the Vancouver Island free daily and the article, it says with regards to Raiden, am I saying that? Mm-hmm. Okay. Raiden, the story is a revisionist history of her earlier self-published book, looking at the idea of how the victors write history. Can you explain that quote for someone like me who hasn't read a, I haven't read your, your series and I, I, I don't usually read fantasy. Can you, yeah. I will happily explain. Okay. Um, so I wrote um, Dragon's Voice and Dragon's Talon and Soulburner in that order um, before the Son of No Man series. Um, King Thomas I was a historical figure and he was basically considered a legend to the other characters, the founding you know, king of the kingdom, basically. Um, and I really became somewhat obsessed with who the man was really and how he basically built a kingdom because yeah. it has to happen at some point, but no one ever really talks about how that went down. Um, So because his actual story being sort of polished and and manipulated by history, I wanted to see kind of what had really happened, which I know is an odd thing to say about a fantasy world, but um, it's how my, the story goes. Um, I do write a world with magic, it's fantasy, but I try to keep things real. Um, I want to be able to see, I wanted to be able to see how this reality turned into legend. And um, I found out by writing it, he wasn't the hero that everyone thought he was. Um, And it just, it kind of showed how time will change the narrative, change how events are portrayed. Um, The first king was a warlord and he, I mean, he ended up doing the right thing, but for all the wrong reasons. And I adored building on that. Okay. I like that. I like that. I like that with the character where what they do is no, I won't say noble, but in their own minds, it's noble. But like you said, the wrong reasons. Yeah. Mm, his yeah. own reasons, basically. Yeah. It wasn't, you know, he may have been seen as being very altruistic or, or very noble character. You know, look how he's done so many things for the kingdom. Yeah. But at the end of the day, it was a warlord. And yeah. he built it, you know, it came about by the sword for all intents yeah. and purposes. And is that really the the portrayal that they portrayal that they wanted to have no so they had to change it over time neat okay neat so you you kind of explained why you write you know at first it was like a a stress release and all the books you've read so did you start writing stories since a child like because i know i went through a phase where i did i hated reading as a child, um, my sister found the Bopsy twins for me, which was the game changer for me, right? And I then I, I was just then I was reading it. I read was reading every one of those books, and then like at around thirteen, I started writing my own little stories. So, was that a similar progression for you too? I love being inspired by those things. You always have to find the story that speaks to you the most. And I guess for me, it was just fantasy. Um, I was writing at a fairly young age on and off. My mom actually 
was kind of going through one of those boxes from kindergarten kind of things. And she found what I would consider my first ever story. Um, And and I joke about it now because it literally is on this enormous piece of paper (laughs) because you're small and your your writing is like three inches high. Um, It says, once upon a time, there was a princess. She lived in a castle. She had a dog. She loved her mom. The end. (laughs) (laughs) I've kept it now because it's adorable. Um, and I guess, I guess that means I've been writing forever. (laughs) I have no recollection clearly of this story, but I have, I have the, have the evidence. Um, I do blame my mother. I actually blame my mother a lot for my writing. Um, uh, that's why I think, I think one of my stories is actually devoted to like uh, the dedication at the front is to her. And it says for my mother, um, for her wonderful advice. Well, Deborah, whatever. (laughs) My mother's advice. Uh, she hates that I, I point that out to people. Um, but anyway, she she was the one who suggested just that I take this overactive imagination, the one that's worrying about the monsters in the closet or or the vampires outside the window or whatever it is, and redirect it and tell myself stories at bedtime. And yeah. that's what came of it. And it's the same thing as vet school. When I'm sitting there, my brain is left to its own devices. Um, it's My imagination is a hell of a troublemaker. Yeah. So I have to keep it under wraps and give it a job. And <laughs> that's what I do. I give it a job to write. So yeah, I I, I write because I can't not write. Yeah, I get that. Yeah, okay, okay. So can you give us an idea what, now this is a very broad question, now that I'm, I'm getting more answers, um, I'll, I'll just, I'll give you the questions, you let me know how you want to tackle it or whether you want to answer one, answering one question takes care of the two. So the two questions I have are, can you give us an idea of what your series involves. And the second one is, can you describe the Son of No Man universe? I do them both sort of together because okay. they're, they're obviously connected. Yeah. Um, I often call um, this series more so than my other ones. My other ones, um, the, the original three are young adult fantasies, sword and sorcery is how I describe them. Um, Son of No Man, I describe more as a historical fiction, but in another world. Okay. Um, because it's it's in it's set up as a historical fiction, like with real wounds and real wars and real people. Um, it does have magic, but it's like the kind that takes a toll on you. Yeah. Um, in a nutshell, though, as to what the series involves, um, is that Thomas Galanth, the, the first king, uh, is uh, taking over the known world, and he's trying to do it without anyone actually noticing. Oh. So it, it starts with him repelling an invasion, which helps him raise an army. So yeah. doing the right thing but with alternative motives. Um, and by the end, he'll, he'll be a, have built a kingdom, um, you know, for better or for worse, whatever that means. Um, so for me, it was really that balance of liking, trying to make it real um, without, while still being fun in a fantasy. Wow. Well, I'm just thinking about some of the things that are going on in our times right now. There are certain <laughs> things of, of uh, how things get manipulated, the whole concept of false news, rumors, yeah. how uh, the legend spreads. Uh, a simple thing, um, like he's seen at one point flipping a coin over his fingers because he's injured himself and he actually has to keep mobility in his hands. Yeah. So he's um, flipping a coin over. And because the person who walks in see it flashing fire off the firelight because it's a coin, there's a rumor going around that he can control fire. But it's, it's not true. It's, it's, a, it's a coin, right? Yeah. So there's things like that where, you know, what people saw versus what they expected to see versus, you know, what they then tell their neighbor about. Yeah. Um, and how you get this legend that builds off of a real person. Yeah. 
And then what the neighbor then tells the other neighbor. And then, yeah, the telephone effect where everyone repeats it and it gets bigger and bigger. Um, and I, I lead to it a bit because there's there's songs. I mean, I don't I'm not Tolkien. I don't write them out. But there's illusion like they actually talk about the songs that are forming around these sort of things. So it's it's a ballad about this. And and even someone walking through the crowd is going like, no, the dragon wasn't like that at all. But yeah. that's what the song says now. So yeah. that's what's going to be passed on through the generations and come out the other side. So it's, yeah, this concept that, that what what happened isn't always what's reported accurately. It changes based on what people want. In a, it, and essentially what they want to believe. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Okay. So, you know, with what I write, I, my location is Victoria because that's where I live for 25, 25 years. Um, I've always been on the Island. Okay. And um, so I have like, I have real, <laughs> Places I can go, real reference points. Okay. Like a down Government Street yeah, and, and yeah. across from the, whatever, down the Inner Harbor. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you can use those landmarks. Yeah. So you create an entire city, a village, a world, okay? Um, chapter one of Ryden. So that's book one. There is this, this quote, and it's, never forget the pains we have endured or the man responsible for them. And then it's Cloden. Well done. Yeah. Son of Chief Mulcart. Malark. Malark. Okay. Of, okay. Of the Raiden third clan. And it's, I, I think it's a great quote and you know, I was thinking about how you keep track of all the details of this universe you create. And I was wondering, I, do you have a story Bible? Because that's what I hear. Yeah. <laughs> She's I, well, sort of. I, I, I nod. Yes. I have, I have a series of files. So like the story Bible being, you know, where you keep all the nitty gritty about people, places, how that name is spelled, whether that guy has blue eyes or green eyes and yellow hair or whatever kind of stuff. So yeah, I have a, I have a series of files. Yeah. Um, I, I I use a lot of like just word files for names, and then anytime I mention a specific characteristic, it has to go in there. Yeah. Um, but I've done everything from like pull up pictures off of online, being like, "That's what he looks like," or um, as you say, like the weapons behind me. You know, yeah. like that, I'm looking at it, being like, "This is what I'm going to be using." Um, so I have photos, I have maps, I actually have a calendar. I had to build a calendar. Um, because their world doesn't have 365. Our calendar, if you think about it, the Gagarin calendar is actually really silly. Okay. And so many features of it are based on things like whether or not Julius Caesar had a bigger ego um, than, you know, um, than, oh, what was the other one? Julius versus Augustus, you know, August and July. This, this calendar makes zero sense <laughs> unless you add our history to it. So I can't use a calendar with 31 and 30 days plus 28 in February because it doesn't make any sense unless you're from Earth. Um, so you have to build another calendar and another clock because who would have come up with 12 hours or 24 hours in a day? Or yeah. it, it just doesn't make a lot of sense. Um, so everything like that had to be built. Um, and so I have various, like I said, notebooks, um, files and uh, sketch pads and things like that that I use to track these things. And I can always pull them back up if I have to reference something be like was well, his left leg or his right leg yeah. <laughs> it was his left he's lame on his length and then I 
and I can carry on with my story. Yeah. There's a lot of track. I do try hard. I want to make it consistent. There's nothing worse from a fantasy reader's perspective than reading something and have the author get an fact wrong. You're like, he said his mother was Juliet and now you're yeah. saying it's whatever Genevieve. And you're like, no, um, <laughs> you have to be consistent or you will, you know, just, it takes you out of the story if someone yeah. gets it wrong. So it's gotta be consistent to be believable. Well, I just, Hey, I smile because even your comment about unless you're from Earth, you know, like it makes me, you know, like that. I love that comment. An option. You don't you know? have to be from Earth when you're right. a writer. Um, yeah. I, and I want to make it make sense. Like I, I do, I get annoyed with some of these fantasy. One of the reasons I started writing myself was so many of these fantasy worlds didn't take that into consideration at all. They just yeah. dropped you. And now sometimes, you know, they'll just take people and they're like, but it's really Earth post some apocalyptic or something like that to try and justify why so many of the cultures have the same, you know, uh, customs as we do, or so many of them have the same expressions, um, or the same calendar, or as I said, like the same way of measuring time. Yeah. Um, those don't make sense unless you've had a history like our world's history. Right. So if you have a different history, you should have different facts that way. That's fascinating. Okay. Uh, it's also I, a lot of fun. <laughs> I tell you, in my brain right now, it's it's doing a uh, it's doing a three sixty. Just thinking about if you have a different history, how okay. much of our world actually is based on our history? All of it, basically. Yeah. What languages we use, what nuances we use, what customs we have. So much of it is just the history of what has happened. Yeah. You change that; those things aren't true anymore, and they don't, in all cases, make sense. Oh, wow. My brain. <laughs> this is great. And people I say it. fantasy is fluffy. No, no. I <laughs> like tell you. Well, I like it when you, you get a person thinking differently, right? That's, That's what fantasy is good for. Yeah. You just, can come just, at things from a completely different perspective and a different angle and, and a different what if, yeah. basically, um, and then follow it down you know, five minutes, five years, 50 years, 500 years, five millennia and see what happens and, and where you would have gone. Um, it's, it's actually a lot of fun. Jeez. So I can just see, you know, your character, what's that, that, co that conference they have where people dress up in the, Oh, like cosplays. Yeah. Yeah. They're going to do that with your book. One day I'm yeah. walking down and I'll be like, look, there goes Kittable. Yeah. Um, like one of the characters <laughs> from my book or Karsh, everyone will do Karsh. He's just fun. Cause he's got like baldricks of daggers on him and oh. he's, you know, tussle hair and everything. Um, anyway, it, it yeah. will be fun. That is One so day cool. we'll see it. Okay. So this kind of, kind of, uh, stamps out my next question. Cause I was wondering <laughs> if there was anything in the real world past or present that inspires your universe. And I'm just, instead of that, I'm thinking, so do you, do you, okay. It sounds like you have a whole different universe. So are there lessons that you, maybe that you take from the, our real world to try to, you know, deliver? Yeah. Basically I try to be observant. Yeah. Um, I read a kid's book actually recently with one of my, with my eldest. And it said, basically, before you're an, an author, you have to live. Okay. Um, and it was a really poignant line for me, which is silly because it's coming out of this, I think it was called, uh, oh, was it Captain Awesome or something like that? And it's a, okay. it's a kid story. But ultimately, the character um, wants to be a writer uh, yeah. about a superhero. Anyway, um, 
and yeah, before you become a, a writer, you have to live. Um, and that's what I try to do because you can take everything you see. And if you're being observant, you can thread those things in and just give your world weight. Yeah. Um, I sat down at one point and looked through the series because it's six books. Um, yeah. It's a lot of ground to cover. There's a decent number of side plots and other characters um, besides just Thomas running around um, and their paths and, and how they overlap and, and wind together. Um, and I realized that in the course of the story, I'd addressed everything from like women's rights, um, you know, um, honoring your elders, um, racism, uh, sexism, uh, drug use, rape. Uh, like wow. I had covered so many hot topics, like things that we are, we have in our world that we don't always talk about, yeah. but I could frame differently and have just woven in there. So it, it actually did cover a lot of ground, um, which, which made it, um, I, I hope, you know, um, a, a better read, like a, a more interesting, but also more relevant to what we're doing, what we see in the real world and how it goes in. Um, there's certain people out there that I'm like, oh, I could write you into a book. Um, (laughs) you know, it it does influence you. Um, the, the certain concepts that you start discovering about yourself, you know, when I'm entering my new job and I'm writing about a character who's coming to that stage of their life or whatever it is, you have those emotions that can go onto the page and and inspire what you're writing. Okay. So, and again, I'm, I'm maybe taking you a little bit off guard here. I'm just thinking about... Now, with you being a veterinarian, which mm-hmm. is bravo, okay? <laughs> I'm a dog owner. Look at this little guy. Yeah, I'm, I mean, he got me through the pandemic, okay? <laughs> they guy. are important. Our animals yeah. are hugely important to us. Yeah. So um, has there ever been anything? Now, I, it's not like I want you to, to give away anything that happens in work, but let's say any scenarios involving, let's say, an animal that you have thought, oh, well, maybe if I have, you know, an animal in this scene, um, well, you've got a dragon. We know you got a dragon. Okay. <laughs> that if, if this happened and the animal gets cured, like anything like that, that, because I know with mystery, I have taken, um, let's say, I'll read a case in the newspaper, which when I was at the prosecutor's office, I knew about, and I, I expand on that. So I guess, is there anything that you, you've you expanded upon based on, I'd like to- A lot s- of it is that the, the training behind it. Okay. I, I always I always joke that um, all my animal depictions are highly accurate <laughs> because I'm most familiar with them. So I always get the body language right for my animals. Um, but I've also had uh, simple things like someone's broken. I mean, I had a dragon break his tail. Um, actually, sorry, broke his foot, injured his tail, bruised his tail. Um, little dragon, small yeah. one. Um, and so I'm sitting there being like, how do I splint a dragon's foot? Um, and stuff like that. Um, I had to figure out how dragons could fly. It really bugged me for the longest time. It makes no physical, like from the laws of physics, yeah. dragons flying is, a, is really ludicrous, particularly some of the dragon's sizes I deal with. Cause I, I deal with fairy dragons, which are kind of the size of a cat, um, all the way up to, um, a silver dragon, which is probably the size of my house plus, um, like oh, it's, wow. it's more like a size of an apartment building in some ways. Okay. Um, like it is big. <laughs> so, um, I, I ended up sitting down and figuring out the actual, um, anatomy of a dragon. <laughs> That's it's a crazy thing to do, yeah. but, um, figured out that it's one part chemistry, basically how they create fire. It's a mixing of two chemicals. Cool. Um, 
plus an ignition. Um, so yeah. they have a spark, yeah. but, um, it changed, it, it was silly because it changed actually how I portrayed the dragon fire. So if you're ever reading the books, you will notice that there's a wind first and then there's a fire. Uh, and that's because that's the gas is being released and then it's being ignited. Um, so it's, it's stupid, but that's how it, I tied it all together. It's um, fascinating. <laughs> um, although I ultimately had to, and I just, I couldn't get around it. I had to draw on magic for, to make dragons fly because by the laws of physics, there is zero way of actually making the dragons fly. You can't do it for something that big to have little wings that are going to be able to get you up. Um, so I had to use dragon magic, which was fun though, because that ultimately fed into what ended up being the magic system, yeah. um, which expanded it further. And, and it kind of had a trickle down effect that, that expanded things. So uh, anyway, so just, it's weird, but it's applying the, my knowledge of sciences and biology and then putting it in a fantasy setting, but still trying to add that, that realism to it. Um, I, I tend to injure my, um, <laughs> injure my characters a lot. <laughs> um, yeah. they have wounds and their wounds stay. Um, like I don't have a magic, Whoop, you got all better. Kind of <laughs> that doesn't happen in my world. You have people who are permanently disfigured regularly. Um, okay. uh, so that, uh, that also plays into it. But my knowledge of biology and things like that, you know, if, if you're stabbed through the chest, how yeah. can I possibly save you right now? Um, yeah. or are you going to die? And are you going to do it quickly or slowly? Yeah. Um, that, that has played in a fair bit. <laughs> That is fascinating. Uh, okay. Yeah. I'm glad I asked that. Okay. <laughs> okay. Okay. So back to the, back to, okay. That's cool. Okay. So just kind of getting back to, you said it was Prince Thomas. 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 Okay. What type of character is he? Um, and what is it about him that makes you want to write a series around him? Yeah, I vacillate on him a lot. Um, <laughs> I love him because yeah. I do enjoy writing him as a character, but he actually scares me a fair bit, wow. which is a weird, I guess a lot of authors can probably relate to that. Like I'm sure when you're writing your villains and stuff like that, there's some moments where you're like, that's disturbing and yeah. you scare me. Um, and I, I, he's just, he's so much of an ends justifies the means kind of guy, especially yeah. when he starts. Um, he's, he can be nasty. Yeah. if he has to. He, he's very much uh, very practical. And if this person's in his way, he's going to figure out how to get them out of his way. Okay. And there's multiple ways of doing that. Some involve the sword. Um, but I did, I really loved following more than anything. It was his progress that got me. So he started in one place, but then him living a uh, basically a fake life. He's pretending to be something he's not for most of his, most of the books. Um, and then how that, that influenced him, how the people around him influenced him. Um, he comes to question a lot, if not everything about his life. And then ultimately the thing that I love the most about him was this willingness to change. I'm turning around oh. and saying, there's a moment where he's like, you know what? I have to change what I'm doing. And this is when he kind of switches. Um, and then of course I loved how his story was manipulated by historians. That was, okay. that was really fun, um, as well. But yeah, Thomas as a character, uh, you love him and hate him. Um, the feedback I've had so far on the first two books, I, I just released, the third book um, is, is about to come out and I had the editor write back to me like, I can't believe that happened at the end. Is he the bad guy? Like, <laughs> it, was, it was really fun because I'm like, yeah. yeah, well, you know, not everyone, like, I don't think everyone is this pure white, pure black situation. Um, and so he's a, he's a definite dark shade of gray to start. Um, and maybe he lightens a bit as he goes through the series. But, um, but yeah, he's, uh, he scares me at the same time as, as really inspires me because he, he has such potential for change and ultimately um, doing, doing an amazing thing. 
Well, and in that gray, you have conflict, right? That's how you change your, you know, how you change where you are on that scale. Yeah. Like there, there you've got conflict, you know, even if it, it can be conflict over the smallest things or yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, in the newspaper article, I have to say, um, you know, it said that, okay. So in the newspaper article, it mentions that you wonder if people will question your veterinarian skills because you write fantasy. And, you know, my comment to that is if Ryan Reynolds can act and write, and I'm a Ryan Reynolds fan. Okay. I'm so am I. That. I'm cool with it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So if Ryan Reynolds can act and write and produce movies and have aviation gin, you can most definitely do all of the above, right? So, I mean, no one should question anything. Okay. Like, yeah, no. And yeah, this has been a fast, like I'm still, I'm still wrapped around your call. It comes down to the left and the right brain kind of ideas. I mean, that's a simplification, but the idea that you have to have balance, like you can't, you don't want to be all of one thing. I don't think anyone should ever be one thing. Um, you want to be able to do, you know, some with the creativity side, some with the science sides, you know, some emotion, but also some intuition and like just having that balance at the end of the day, you got to be able to do, you shouldn't be one thing. No one should be one thing. Yeah, I, I agree. I agree. So where can people purchase your books? All right. Okay. So they're basically I'm on every e-platform, e-book platform, I should say. Okay. Uh, so Kindle, Kobo, Apple, you name it, it's probably there. Yeah. Um, the paperbacks I have up on Amazon. Uh, yeah. Ryden is about to get a hardcover. Cover. That's through my publisher. They're going hardcover with them. So mm-hmm. Ryden uh, will be coming up. I believe it's through Amazon primarily that you'll get, you can get a hardcover as well. Um, but if you do want to sort of skip the shipping and stuff and you're local, because this yeah. is for Victoria, um, I'm, you can go to my website and I've got a sort of a, a contact me order books little section on there. Um, and I'm happy to sign, meet you, drop it somewhere, that kind of stuff. And it's dlambertauthor.com is the website. So, um, but yeah, I'm, I'm definitely out there. So if you go down to the website, it's probably the easiest launch point because you'll find all the links there. And that's again, dlambert, just a letter D, Lambert author, all one word.com. Yeah. Uh, and I say, I say, go to, go to your website. Yeah. Like I, I'm, I'm so much more for definitely support the local author, you know, like, mm-hmm. and, and I mean, like, so I mean, Jeff Bezos has built a rocket. I don't think he needs any more. Okay. <laughs> right? That's fair. Yeah. yeah. No, I'm, I'm all for buy local if you can, which is why I made the contact form on my website. Cause yeah. I've got someone local. I'm, I'm guess I'm in Souk. So I'm a little yeah. removed from Victoria. Um, but we're back and forth. I got family in the area, so I'm I'm happy for to drop it off to people or or send it local on Canada Post or whatever it is. Yeah. Um, I just I want to support kind of the locals as much as I can. Yeah, I I've, yeah, and I I have literally um, sold books out of the passenger seat of my car. <laughs> so. My favorite is craft fairs right now. Like not not always craft fairs, but like farmers markets and yeah. Souk has a night market. They're going to do it again this summer. Super excited oh, about that. Um, so the right Souk writer collective is going to be there a uh, couple nights, not every night. So if you're not sure, check my feed. I'll be posting when we're out. Um, but craft fairs at Christmas also really fun. I just love seeing people like actually meeting people and talking about this and, and sharing. Um, yeah. so so yeah, I mean, usually if there's a if there's a souk 
fair of some kind, you'll probably find me somewhere on there because I just adore them. That's a great way to find new authors too. Perfect. Perfect. And I run after them at the fair. I'm like, wait, you're a writer too? Who? We should talk. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, it's, it's a, I don't want to say it's a, it's a very solitary profession. It is a solitary practice. Yeah. Yeah. And, and uh, so when you get that chance to, you know, talk to another author, and hear their stories. And like mm-hmm. I say, I'm still getting Or buy their it. book for your eight-year-old, because my kid yeah. can't read my stuff. Yeah. Um, so I picked up a superhero one from another local author because he's at that age. So, yeah. you know, I like to support local authors, but also, as you say, making sure you're not feeling so alone, because otherwise yeah. it can be a very lonely endeavor. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so what's next? What's next for you? Like I said, Northlander's coming out next month. Um, I am submitting my edits for book four today. I've got one chapter left to polish and and sending it out to the editor. Um, So that's for Esperan, um, which is the book four of Son of No Man. Um, I'm really hoping to get into more writing than just editing, because right now it's been an editing flurry. Um, And there's a few few stories that are are started. I, I tend to have three on the go at a given time. One started, one stuck in the middle, and one stuck near the end. And yeah. so I need to get back to them and get them moving again. Yeah. So um, there's a few there's a few exciting ones coming from my perspective. This one's a fairly male driven, and I've got a I've got a kick ass female who's about to take on an army in one of my other books. And I'm like, I really want to write her story too, and see, see if she yeah. and her dragons can take out the army. So. I was wondering about that. I was wondering whether <laughs> you know um, if uh, a strong female heroine. You know. I, I find the Son of No Man ser- uh, series a bit peculiar for that because I am obviously I am female and I, yeah. I I typically write male characters, which I think is because of how I grew up because of the books I read. Yeah. Um, growing up, there just wasn't a lot of kick-ass female leads. No. There just wasn't, so I defaulted away from it. Yeah. Um, but what I noticed was when I started writing um, the series, I had there was there's definitely some female characters, and some of them are are strong but their care but their their strength had to be subtle they couldn't yeah. be wielding a sword because of the world they were in um so they had to be more manipulative or, or in the background and then as the books progress my yeah. female characters pop out and start taking over the book oh. so um by the time you hit the end of the series um it, it's not necessarily going to be um thomas who's running the kingdom cool so it was fun to watch them come into their own um there's at least one character who starts off quite meek, but by the end is, is running various shows. Um, cool. And the female characters do come into their own. I don't know if I grew up or I decided to branch out as I was writing it, but progressively every book, you get more and more of a female um, strength coming through. Good, good. Well, but I'd I'm love just... to write, finish the one that has her as the main lead. Yeah. Well, I'm just thinking as I see that shield behind you, and I'm thinking to myself, I can imagine the conversations they have at their dinner table. You know, I could, I could see Deborah saying, okay, I have this fight scene where I need this time. Right? Yeah. <laughs> I think the most recent one was something along the lines of, uh, oh, was if you bring a sword out and you're trying to fight a quarter staff or a short staff of some kind, you know, what would be the advantage? Like, is it better to be short or a lot? Like, yeah, it was a short staff battle that came up. So. Yeah. Oh, well, this has been... So much fun, Deborah. I'm glad we made this happen. Me too. I'm very um, glad. And people, to find this podcast, previous podcasts, I will have Deborah's, uh, I just posted email, um, website, website and uh, socials in the podcast notes. Now, please subscribe. 
Um, I have to thank, say thank you to my followers. I had put a Facebook post up, and so I say thank you to the listeners in Germany. Uh, thank you to the listeners in Australia, the United States, the UK, and Canada. And um, please subscribe. It's jcbartstudio.net. Deborah, thank you. Well, thank you for having me. Okay, bye-bye.